Chapter 13, Part 1 of Limanora, The Island of Progress by Godfrey Swevin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Religion, Part 1 After a few days' reflection and observation, I felt a change in the spirit of the people. There was less of that serenity which had struck me so often as one of the distinctive characteristics of themselves and their actions. Every family seemed to hurry in its efforts at development and the pace of their advance might almost be called feverish now. This was especially the case with all those who were engaged in the more spiritual investigations into the nature of the cosmos. Next to them, in increase of eagerness and enthusiasm, came the astronomical families, the astrobiological, and all whose researches bore upon stellar conditions and interstellar migration. The gaze of the whole race was more distinctly outwards and extraterrestrial. I had conjectured the cause of this acceleration and impetuosity, and soon definitely knew it to be the result of our expedition to the south, and the reports we brought back. The elders on considering them saw that the safety of the island as a resting place and arena for their progress was not to be depended on for many generations more. The increase in the rate of subsidence of their old home meant a transference of the destructive power of the subterranean fires to the other end of the ancient fissure within a measurable period. The volcanic vents on the Antarctic coast must be closed beneath the ocean before many centuries were over, and the rushing waters in quenching their fires would find their way in uncontrollable steam towards the weakest point of the crust, which they knew to be their own archipelago. Ere many generations could come and go, this terrestrial home of the race would be blown to dust, and new lands would appear at some other point on the line of fissure. Where could they settle on the round of the earth? There was no land except their old home to the south, isolated enough to admit their following up their ideals. All the remote islands in other oceans were already fully occupied, and were impracticable for them unless at the sacrifice of human life, a condition that would outrage their whole idea of development. The globe was closed for them except the region of everlasting ice where their remote ancestry had dwelt and that too might at any moment flash into dust before the explosive forces beneath the crust. The alternative of seeking a home on another star had seemed to them the only one for many generations, and they had been preparing for it by inventions that would enable them to float clear of the terrestrial atmosphere for many centuries, and by explorations in interstellar space. But many discoveries and thoughts had thrown a new light upon the stellar migration, they would have to exist in their circumscribed felinas as they travelled through the ether for many generations of even their long lives, and these ships would be their cradle and their tomb. They would have to resign for many centuries the conquests of the elements of the forces of nature that they had achieved in Limanora. The broad movement which these past ages of history had given to their life would be narrowed into a space no larger than one chamber of their own mansions. They would live imprisoned, and their imprisonment would lay its brand upon their natures, and still more upon the natures of their descendants. The proximity of so many in so small a space would breed physical, and still worse, spiritual disease, that would haunt their posterity for generations after they should settle in their new stellar abode. 
their offspring would have the habits and ideas of the savage reared in the wigwam of the rover or the hut of the slave even if they could achieve individual flight through the ether they would have to keep close to their storeships and return every few minutes to the exhausted atmosphere of their swift-winging felinas if every condition of their interstellar voyage were the same as their life in their own limanora what disappointments might not they encounter in their comparative ignorance of the biology of the heavens would not most stars that were fit to be inhabited be already choked with life and life at a different stage from that that they had attained if they struck upon a lower grade of existence it would be useless to attempt to raise it and contrary to their own morality to obliterate it if they met with a higher type of being they would be repulsed by it as likely as to degrade it it would be a wretched existence to lead a life of interstellar vagabondage poor beggars of the cosmos seeking a star whereupon they might rest the sole of their foot not more than one world in each system could be at the stage that would fit their life evolution most stars would be too young and fiery crude or too old and exhausted to give them the conditions they sought for in many the life they would encounter would shock and repel them by its monstrosity what was to hinder some gigantic form as the leomo knew had existed on the earth in its earlier geological ages some tremendous winged saurian and having the place on one or more of the stars they visited than man held upon earth it only meant the development of a brain proportionate to the hugeness of the bulk and some swiftly moving deft and adaptable limb like the human hand to give it complete dominance over all the forms of life around it the elephant needed only the mechanical faculty of the beaver or of the ant to outstrip man in the struggle of life he had the delicate manipulator in his trunk he had the long life and he had the capacity of skull to transform him into the dominant race of the earth in order to the mastery of his conditions he had only to make the step from using anything that came ready to his trunk as a weapon into shaping it to his will circumstances accidents opportunities pilot the evolution of life upon a world and the accidental condition of an element or an energy or locality might have transformed some terrific monster into the master of the first star they visited it was merely a matter of more or less intricate convolutions of the brain but perhaps the most terrible thing of all would be to land on a world whose inhabitants had developed the purely intellectual faculties and the section of the brain corresponding to them at the expense of the nervous centres that have to do with the control of the passions and with the subordination of the animal nature what a horror it would be to find a star full of calibans with more than human cunning and none of the human emotion or morality the thought of these chances like these gave them pause in their migratorial conquest they began to feel that even life amongst the ruder of their fellow-men might be better than landing amongst monsters unstirred by pity or compassion reverence or tenderness for highly developed life to whom bloodshed was nothing it was true that there were in most nations men who were so constituted but they were except when they got the command of huge armies and became conquerors bridled by fear of the punishment that the laws of the country meted out to criminals 
it was better to live in proximity to beings amongst whom this moral and emotional neutrality is an exception than in a world filled with such monsters perchance when their island home was shattered to dust their true path lay along the surface of their own globe they might settle on the slope of some sky-piercing mountain round whose feet lay untainted tribes of primitive savages there they might preserve their isolation as perfectly as in limanora by a hedge of fear around them which their exceptional power over the forces of nature should forge but they knew that before many ages could pass civilized man would penetrate amongst the odd tribes with his potent weapons and his unscrupulous cunning then would they be unable to avoid bloodshed or hypocritical ambush or diplomacy ambition and hatred would enter in and turn their paradise into a hell on the whole they inclined to the other alternative that lay before them when the great catastrophe came that is let it do its worst on their physical or lower elements out of their shattered bodies would rise the energy of their systems to follow its career of development untrammeled by any slow-moving matter that was half inert whether living or dead death so sudden as that death under any circumstances or conditions was no stop or misfortune to the highest that was in them it was the swiftest way to achieve migration into the interstellar spaces as it was they were narrowed and localized in their development thought the higher thought alone finding its way unchecked to any point or sphere in the cosmos at death they would all be freed from the almost vegetative functions of human existence they would be released from the prison of locality and their whole being would have the ease of thought in winging from infinity to infinity and in disregarding the limitations of time and space together the whole of their race might find coalescence if not companionship in following out their career of development unburdened by alliance with any lower type of energy and in more swiftly attaining a higher and higher goal in the scale of energies when this conclusion had been reached by the consciousness of the people the old serenity returned to them they were ready to meet whatever came not caring whether their ascent through the grades of being was trammelled by terrestrial forms of energy or set free in the infinities of ether but i dimly felt that there was a sublime looking upwards in all they did or said added to their former serenity that transformed it into what approached to the noblest forms of devotional ecstasy i had seen amongst men they never allowed themselves to fall into the moulds of thought that this bodily and terrestrial need so freely supply to man thought recognizing and the practical demands of the physical nature they satisfied and then dismissed them as rapidly as was possible and with all their marvellous machinery and inventions and their accumulation of power the time occupied in this satisfaction was so abbreviated as to be scarcely noticeable in the labyrinth of daily pursuits i had been greatly puzzled during my long period of training to see no trace of religious worship in this noble race growing up with the instinct in me that of all manifestations of human possibilities religion was the most sublime yet i had come to know before i left europe how degraded gross and foul even lofty-minded religion might become but the best men and women i had known there had ever been stirred with the spirit of religious reverence and love 
I could not account for these, the noblest and ablest beings I had seen on earth, ignoring the claims of what is the highest of all, and I watched eagerly for any indication of acts or moods of worship. Early in my residence on the island I had discovered that there were no temples and no priests. That was patent to the most casual glance of the stranger. Amongst all their public buildings there was none that could be taken as devoted to the worship of a deity, and there was no family or caste or set of men whose chief functions were to superintend such a worship. But perhaps their religious acts were private or even secret, and I was on the alert many years for any sign of such a thing in the house of my proparents or in that of Thyriel. Finally discovering nothing that could be construed even in the most distant way into a ceremonial attitude or word, I gradually abandoned any expectation of such a thing. My attention was now aroused by the new halo around their serene acceptance of the conditions of life. There was a rapture and there was longing in their halicon view of the world. Yet the rapture and the longing never withdrew them from immediate pursuits and duties, never gave them the ennui of life that transport and passion generally entrain. They seemed to have the vision and the upward glance of the seer without his brooding and apartness, it was rather an intensification of their usual feelings and attitude to life. This was nearer than anything else I had experienced in Limanora to the unperturbed faith in a higher being and the yearning for proximity to him that I had witnessed in those whom we used in Europe to call, for lack of a less trite term, saints. At the next menorah or decentennial review, the predominating interest was the theopathic side of human nature, and I discovered more of their views of religion in the few years preceding it than all the decades I had spent amongst them. So devotional did I think the magnetism which ran through the community, that I plucked up courage to ask about the religion. My question was dealt with in the calmest and most rational way possible amongst human beings. There was no immediate reply, except an elevation of the finger to the brow and then to the wide vault of the sky, but I was led to a part of the fieldum I had not visited. It lay in a region of the valley that I had carefully avoided as full of gloom and damp with the vapor of a tumbling waterfall. I had never noticed anyone enter it, and my curiosity had never been awakened about it. Here were stored the records that illustrated the evolution of religion, records made by light, sound, and magnetism. It was intensely interesting for me to see so complete a museum of the natural history of worship. Every faith in the world had its due place, fixed according to its inner spirit and development, so graphic was the map of the whole that in a moment I saw the common kinship of all and the differentiating qualities that made one worship higher and more advanced than the other. My guide flashed living pictures of the ceremonies of each and then let me listen to the speeches and talks of the officiants and of many of the worshippers. The magnetograph struck me into the feelings that pervaded the masses in the temples and those that filled the breast of the solitary priest or devotee during the most solemn and enthusiastic act of worship. I could feel how much or how little the religion introduced into the life of the people. Day after day I returned with eagerness to the sight and the study of this absorbing phase of human nature, 
and seemed to get to the very heart of every faith and its influence. The mere accidents of its history were felt to be non-essential. Its inner development stood out as plainly as if written in letters of fire. My guide did not need to teach me the lesson. I knew it as well as if I had learned it from infancy. I knew why there were no temples, no ceremonies, no hierophantic families, no outward sign of faith amongst this far-seeing people. Their own early endeavors to purify and develop the faith handed down to them from their forefathers were there as vividly pictured as any faith from the world outside. They had had temples as splendid as any I have ever seen or heard described. Their ceremonies were artistic, noble, and significant. Their music was as nearly sublime as earthly music can be, and the priestly profession attracted many of the ablest and some of the best natures in the community by its princely salaries, drawn from the gifts of former ages of the faithful, and by its high prerogatives. At first I wondered how it had been possible to uproot an institution that had evidently grown out of the most intimate instincts of the race. The higher dignitaries were so lordly and influential they might easily control even by their private alliances and social dominance the powers of state, and the poor hierophants had ingratiated themselves with the middle classes and proletariat from whom they came. Reverence, fear, love, ambition— pride, self-interest, all the commoner emotions and passions of humanity, were engaged and entwined with the worship. How could such a widely ramifying profession allow itself to be overthrown? When the exilings were over, it was found that there was not a member of the priestly profession left on the island, nor was there anything of the wealth of the church, except the solid walls of the temples. The dignitaries and most of the transferable riches had found their way to Aliophane, the bulk of the poor clergy landed in Terralaria, and smaller bands drifted away to smaller islands like Coxuria, establishing their communities marked by some extreme eccentricity of faith. All the vestments and altars and ornaments of the temples had vanished before the last expedition left the shores of Limanora. Even the huge bells that had rung to service, and the baser metals for making the roofs water-tight, had disappeared. Nothing but the stones and mortar were left to indicate where the great faith of the past had housed itself. One or two expeditions were even seen to set out from Terralaria and Aliophane to fetch the very temples away stone by stone to prevent the cupidity of the exiles from wasting itself on futile attempts against the island the edifices were tumbled into the sea and helped to make the bastions which guarded the shores having thus got rid of all the outward property and signs of their former worship they had to count the cost and consider how they were to meet the situation it had been inculcated by the efficients of the church for untold generations that all morality and in fact all civilization, would vanish with faith. Religion was the foundation of everything in life that was worth preserving, and most of the people trembled if any change were proposed in the national worship. They feared that the object of their devotion would withdraw the light of his countenance from them, should the slightest feature be modified. Even the scientific and cultured thought that religion acted as an excellent watchdog or policeman, 
keeping the uneducated within the bounds of the laws and traditions of the nation. Changes had crept in unobserved by the worshippers, and had been sanctified by time. Then open proposals for change gave the shock and the alarm, and made the whole fabric seem to shake and totter. The unperceived changes were far greater and more revolutionary in their ultimate effect, for they were generally changes of degeneration which ended in decay and ruin. But everything that was deliberately intended to fit the old institution to the new times was looked on with horror, a sacrilege never to be forgiven. It was therefore with a certain tremor that they demolished the ancient temples and put their stones to new and seemingly secular uses. But once the transformation was accomplished and no great catastrophe followed, even the less bold gathered courage. As time went on and the old faith was forgotten and no definite new creed took its place, it began to be felt that the terror of religious change and the belief that religion alone gave the guarantee of all morality and civilization were alike baseless. After a decade or two, when they began to reflect on their past and analyze their new states of mind and public feeling, they discovered the most striking effect of this obeyance of ecclesiasticism to be the attainment of the ideal of all true religion. Into their very life had soaked the inner spirit of devotion. Every act was done with a reference to something higher than to itself, to which the doer looked up with reverence yet with the sense of its possible attainment in the future. Every piece of conduct, every item of character was molded as if for all time. All their work they labored at with an earnestness, enthusiasm, and care that evinced the consciousness of its everlasting issues. In short, they found that the surest way to exclude religion from the life was to assign it to a special section of time, a special profession, and special edifices. These acted as a conduit that drew it from the true business of existence. Men and women came to feel that, these wants being set apart, was all done that could be done for the object of their worship, and that the rest of their life upon earth would be given up to whatsoever pleased them, be it irreligious, wicked, or even vile. The religious section of their lives threw its consecrating and projecting shadow over the worst they might do or say or think. Thus came about the strange paradox that the vilest of criminals were often the most devoted to religion when they went into the temples. The specialization of what should belong to the whole life and conduct lessens its value. If there is a particular channel for religion, it will be confined to that channel, except in rare seasons of enthusiasm, when it floods the adjacent regions and does universal havoc. Formerly the most religious had been the least trustworthy in the ordinary business of life, and they had not been able to understand why, for the deity they worshipped was a compound of all the noblest virtues they could conceive, and honesty and truth and constancy were three of these. Now they perceived that, having given a tithe of their civilization and energy to the object of their worship, they had shut him and the virtues he embodied out from the rest. He had no claim on that. It was vain for the creed or the priest to insist that the faith should be carried into the life as long as there was a special part of life dedicated to it. Once the pails were down, and there was no distinction between time and time, between place and place, 
and between act and act, the nesting place of hypocrisy disappeared. Every day was sacred, every place was a sanctuary, every act was holy, every moment of their life, every action was a prayer. For they were ever looking upwards and forwards towards the ideal, and believed that the noblest reverence they could pay to the cosmos, and to the presiding spirit of the cosmos, was to raise their own natures even higher in the cosmic scale. Everything that withdrew them from this cultivation of the special plot assigned to them in the universe, from the development of their better selves, was delaying the true purpose of existence. Even acts of reverence and ceremonies of faith were but a waste of cosmic energy. As long as they kept raising their struggle for existence to a higher plane, so long as they were truly reverencing the greatest being of all, the spirit that gave and was the palpitating life of the cosmos. They acknowledged that every religion in its origin was a recognition of unknown elements or beings far above the plane of the worshippers, but it rapidly degenerated into mere parasitism upon its deity. The more spiritual faiths in their earlier stages expressed the yearning for higher scales of being in true efforts to bring life of the worshipper nearer to that of the worshipped. But soon the curse of religion comes upon them. They try to include races on lower plane than that of their first worshippers and molders, and to these they must adapt themselves, for it is the mass, the numbers that form the ultimate mold of a faith. The noble natures, for whom they originally came into being, are left neglected and undeveloped, and the whole worship goes lower and lower to fit the needs of the increasing numbers of converts. Insignificant though the Limanorans felt themselves to be against the infinity of the cosmos, they refused to formulate their worship, lest it should fall into parasitism, the source of most of the evil and retrogression in the universe. They knew it was possible for the lower being to try to rise to the level of existence of the higher and worshipped, and in advancing, to help his advance. But they had seen too much in history and in contemporary life of the symbiosis of worshippers becoming mere parasitism to trust themselves to anything definite and outward in religion. In daily intercourse, the lower and weaker natures cling to the higher and stronger, and if they fail to reciprocate the benefit they receive, and cease to attempt to elevate themselves to the level of their hosts, then they suck the lifeblood from them and degrade them. The same holds true in religion. The mean worshippers, and the majority in mixed communities are mean, make no effort to better themselves. The higher ideal that they are taught to reverence as a god, they batten upon for favors. They pray to him and yearn for him, not that they may like him, but that he may like them, and become their active and efficient partner in material things and their accomplice in their mean or evil deeds. The Limanorans conceived that all the higher beings of space struggle to keep clear of such parasitic religionists as the majority of men are. There is no road up the steep of being but by patient self-development through generations and generations. Almost all religions, after their early enthusiastic stage, are royal roads that seem to lead to the heights of heaven, and are but descents to hell. They only delude men into thinking that there are other ways to divine happiness than that likeness to the divine nature which is to be obtained by nothing but slow, gradual, inward change. 
they had seen so much of the degeneration and immortality of faiths not only in their own history but in the history of the world that nothing would persuade them to formulate or define in words what they meant by religion at any stage of their development for once they had defined there was a platform of self-opinion and self-interest to fight for a nucleus of petrifaction rites and outward worship would follow and a priesthood whose interest it would be to teach that what they profess as a creed is absolute truth right well the limanorans knew how false such teaching is no age can have a view of life that is not moulded by contemporaneous circumstances and capacity of thought and feeling and the farther the people pass in time and spirit from the primitive age of the founders of their religion the more stoutly will they uphold every word of the creed and every feature of the institution nothing but sanguinary revolution will avail to undo the tragic knot with which the spirit of man has thus bound himself however good for progress and enthusiasm of a faith might be in its early stage it inevitably became the tomb of the human spirit occult explanations of statements that did not tally with acknowledged facts or laws were bound to appear as soon as the mind of the people began to move and develop and the limanorans knew that their marvellous progress had largely been due to the early resolve to have nothing to do with the occult or merely mysterious their pioneering books dealt with what still lay under the horizon of the future but they started from recognized facts and principles and attempted to supply working hypotheses for the men of science there was nothing of magic or superstition in them nothing that did not appeal to the laws of reason and ascertain scientific data nothing that was not meant to be tested by the methods of daily practical life not that they never thought over the problems that are commonly called religious or yearn for communion with existences nobler than their own but their thoughts and feelings were kept out of the sphere of definite expression through fear that their temporary solutions might crystallize and become permanent their faith was purely individual and inward yet when some great step was to be taken in the onward march of the race as for instance when a new type of child or enterprise was preparing to be born the whole community yearned silently towards the living spirit of the cosmos all their being thrilled with one magnetism that seemed to quiver upwards through the ether and return again to strengthen and console them in their work their ideals seemed to pass as by an inspiration into the child or the enterprise about to be born the universe they felt echoed to their thought but it would have been desecration to put their seer-like longing into any form of human expression this was the nearest they came to what is called worship in other nations it was difficult to get them to speak of it for what they would have called their religion was their whole life their pressing forward and upward in development their religion was what europeans would have defined as discovery of god rather than the worship of any idea of him it was based on the knowledge that the world had advanced from insignificant life to comparatively noble self-conscious life and it held firmly that no finality could have yet been reached that there was nobler life beyond still to achieve ever as they climbed upwards in development they had described new ideals on the far horizon that threw into shadow what they had been aiming at 
on and on they would still climb nearer and nearer to the ultimate ideal of the cosmos which is god not to progress was to be irreligious even to look back and make an idol out of the superseded ideal a hero out of a past saviour was to sin there had been revelations of the ultimate spirit of the cosmos but they were ever superseded by the advance of the race for every advance to a new type was a revelation all true and developing life was a revelation no revelation could be other than for a time it was sure to lose its illuminating power as the years or the generations progressed many sacred books they had had books that were no longer sacred only retaining the reverence for that which had once aided in their development as long as it continued to hold a beacon ahead of the race a book remained sacred but once its ideal had been overtaken by the national progress light died out of it for a dead book that retained its sacredness became a fetish and obstructed development not only did they reverence their sacred books every noble utterance every noble act that held out an ideal for men to strive after was sacred but as soon as the sentiment or thought or morality was seen to be merely of the past it was set aside nothing could possibly be final in a universe that was ever developing with faculties and powers of observation that were ever getting more capable of comprehending new phases and energies of the cosmos to accept a book or a faith or an ideal as finally sacred was to offend against the ultimate the free spirit of the cosmos which was ever leading on towards new heights and new outlooks into the future there was no outer worship except life and all its works all other worship was a waste of time and effort which might have been used to raise the worshippers in the scale of being every attempt to conciliate god or imagine him or model him was blasphemy against the effort to rise towards him but every man had his own religious thoughts in silence and there was welding the whole race to a common purpose a magnetic sympathy which was deeply religious it was the sympathy with every thought that tended to advance but all vain contemplation or self-reflection not leading to a progressive purpose was a waste of life and therefore evil for evil they held is the rebellion of the past against the future and though a new religion is in an effort of nature to make alliance with the future it soon by reason of having reached or seeming to have reached its ideal crystallizes and becomes the ally of the past the spirit of stagnancy and retrogression what we in christendom would call the devil laughs at new religions and counts old religions as its best allies so ran a common maxim of theirs they would have nothing to do with what would withdraw any current of their life energy from the great work of advance if there was any division of the race that could be said to approach a priesthood it was the men and women of science especially the pioneers or the imaginative amongst them for they had their eyes bent unflinchingly on the future theirs it was to see that the race was ever advancing they never suffered the present to interfere with the development that was to be they stirred their fellow limanorans to the enthusiasm of anticipation and watched with unfaltering jealousy every glance turned upon the past 
the moments spent upon history and antiquarian research they counted lost unless their aim was to throw illumination upon the future mere students of the past were backsliders whom they had to chide for their offences against the evolution of the cosmos they held up to the eyes of their countrymen the nobleness and beauty of the ideals that were soon to be attained or if need were the sublimity of those that lay just under the horizon in the dimness of twilight they would have nothing to do with mere mystery the basis of all superstition they never lost sight of the margin of the half-known that was ever receding before the advance of investigation into the dark infinitude but they would have no dealings with it beyond the gates of scientific imagination as it planted itself upon the heights of already achieved knowledge such dealings led to gross superstition and charlatanry to pretense of more intercourse with the unknown than was warranted by the knowledge of time there was no standard by which they could be measured or checked and if once they were allowed they would give unlimited scope for self-deceit and imposture faith was a matter for silent meditation and for dream speech or act would only bring it down to the dull level of memory the faith they spoke of was faith in the great future of man and the pioneers were encouraged to sketch out and foreshadow its possibilities by way of dream but that dream was ever the best which traced the whole faith through practice to complete achievement one of the great imaginative books of the time mapped out the route to self-abnegation it described the denial of power or material self and the reduction of it to insignificance in the human system it showed how by such a means and by meditation a man of lofty thought might comprehend the whole range of the universe and passing from spiritual height to spiritual height at last be capable of gathering infinitude within the scope of his soul thus he could approach to communion with the heart and soul of the cosmos with the son of all things but by the selection of parents who had brought such a habit of thought and life into their constitutions they might have in a century of generations beings who were all spirit unhampered by the physical modes of thought and feeling not even this ideal man of the future would they worship for he would still be man infinity short of the highest he could be in the cosmos and nothing short of absolute perfection should be the object of so intense a concentration and prostration of the soul as worship to accept any mere embodiment of humanity as the centre of adoration was agnostic to their great ethical maxim that the ultimate object of every action or desire should be higher than the highest existing human life to worship even the idea of humanity were it possible for a spirit with its feelings and imagination limited to human moulds would lower the aspirations of thought apart from the difficulties of its abstractness it would be to open the objection of obstructing progress by setting up a deity who was but the amalgam of all the failings as well as all the virtues of mankind the limanoran smiled at the ineptitude of making so imperfect creatures as ourselves the chief elements of godhead when there were such infinitudes around us and above us and such entities before us even if it should be possible to eliminate from the human idea of deity all but progress and the noblest virtue it would be obviously absurd to worship an ideal that was soon with the earth it dwelt on to vanish in the dust 
vapor and heat of cosmic collision all open worship was inevitably hampered they held by the limitations of human nature and anthropomorphic it must be despite all efforts to bar out the human from it and as anthropomorphic certain to be antiquated by any real progress on the part of the worshippers these elements in religions make them the enemies of all advance except perhaps in luxury their guardians feel that they are sure to be superseded if the spirit of man should rise above the conditions in which the worship were moulded it is one of the strongest yearnings of life to remain as it is only there are forces material and spiritual ever goading it on the path of advance threatening inferiority or defeat or death unless it goes on but so infinitesimal is the progress thus made under the sting of natural law that it is scarcely noticeable in periods short of hundreds of generations few or no nations or races have attained historic dominance or even historic consciousness of their past so long this unconscious meliorism was considered by the limanorans as little better than the development of animals when left to themselves only deliberate effort on the part of the state and its members can produce advance that is to be felt or that acts as a stimulus to farther advance it is seldom that unconscious progress is other than material whilst inevitably entails reaction to stagnancy or retrogression nay the whole human race at times takes a run forward and then stumbles and falls only to slide back into its old footprints some new impulse sweeping through the ether has stirred men in each race whose enthusiasm or as it is commonly called inspiration awakens the spirit of progress in the era End of chapter thirteen part one